we will be talking about part five of our Constitution uh, today. And that, of course, is Christian conduct. If you remember, we've talked about the Word of God and we talked about how that is the, the inspired Word of God without error in the original, in the original manuscripts, excuse me. Then we talked about our deity, right, the Trinity. Then we talked about, oh, my brain went blank on me. Luckily, I have my Constitution right here. Regeneration, right? And we talked about the three different parts of regeneration, salvation, sanctification, glorification. Then we hopped last week into the church, and we talked about what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your homework, but I do want to ask this question, and you can answer it to yourself. Did anybody do the homework I assigned them last week? You don't have to tell me, I'm just asking. Here's the thing. Your pastor is still a young pastor, so he's still learning a few things. So if you found yourself with the excuse of being unable to build into somebody's life this week because you just didn't have anybody's numbers or addresses because you didn't have yourself one of our uh, church directories, rest assured, my mom printed some out. So if you want one so you can do it, you can. She came to me on Monday and she said, Sam, if you're going to pull something like that, let me know, and I'll have church directories ready. And I went, oh, that's a good idea. Look at that. So if you are like, well, I didn't, I just, I don't have anybody's stuff. You don't have that excuse anymore. We can get you one very easily, all right? So I'm going to reissue that for this week. It has nothing to do with today's sermon, really. But I'm going to reissue that for this week. Build into a local body member's life today. Again, Look around the room, pick somebody. If you've already done it, pick somebody different. It's okay. May I be so bold as to say, we all love each other here. That doesn't mean we all necessarily like each other all the time. So pick the person that gets on your nerves the most and build into them. And if you need a church directory so you can call them, we'll get you one. Now for today's sermon, part five is Christian conduct, Christian conduct. And again, we're going to bounce around a little bit in scripture. Uh, I was talking to my dad about this and I said, the only part I dislike about doing this series is I like to preach, I, I, I preach uh, ex topical expository sermons, which means every sermon has a topic, but I do not go to scripture saying, what's the topic I'm going to talk about? I pick the passage of scripture and then I exposit the topic out of that. I find the topic out of what it's talking about, right? And I said, which means you generally have one chunk of, you know, seven, eight, nine verses, something like that, that you're preaching out of. We don't do that with these because we pull the doctrine from four or five different places, which is great, except when you're trying to read one chunk of scripture, it doesn't work as well. So just as always, we're going to jump around uh, and we're going to start up there with 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then we'll flip over to Galatians chapter 6. What? It's going to be great. See, here's the problem. Your pastor last night, as he was putting the final touches on it, re, you know, I practice it Saturday night or Saturday afternoon-ish. Just one last time to, to get ready. And I flipped some stuff around and neglected to flip it around inside the PowerPoint. So Andy's over there with the remote, got to go back and forth all over the place to keep up with me. So if you're like, why isn't the right scripture verse up there? It's my fault, not his, all right? 
Let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and again, they will all be up there at some point. They'll be up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Cool. Flip with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Flip with me, if you will. I can probably get there faster because I put little sticky notes in each spot. To Galatians chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 10, where it reads, So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now I'm going to give him a second because he's got to go back a couple of slides. We're going to flip to Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. See, I'm all over the place. Philippians chapter 2. Cool. Let's read it. Verses 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. And then lastly, we're going to flip back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. Ephesians 4, 12 through 15. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Give him a minute to fast forward a few slides. Our definition from our Constitution, Christian Conduct. We believe that a Christian should live for the glory of God and the well-being of their fellow person, that their conduct should be exemplary before the world, that they should be a faithful steward of their possessions, and that they should seek to realize for themselves and others the full stature of maturity in Christ. We believe a Christian's conduct is a reflection upon Christ and his church. All right, so let's talk about these five different scripture passages that we talk about as making up our idea of how a Christian should act, right? That's what we're talking about today. How should you act? So number one on your note sheets, for God and people. God and people is your, uh, your fill in the blank there. God and people. Everything you should do is a reflection of Christ in you. Be it big or be it small, right? That verse talks about it. For whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When people look at you, they should not see you. They should see Christ in you. Now, I'm not saying that your personality should not come through. I'm not saying that what makes you, you, is not important. When people see me, I hope they see Christ, but I hope also they see somebody who's funny sometimes. Sometimes his jokes don't hit, but you know. Who's lively, who's energetic. Some people aren't like that. Some people are a bit more stoic. Some people are more laid back. That's fine. 
But do they see Christ? Because everything you do should be a reflection of him. Before you do anything, ask yourself the question, does it glorify God? Pastor, how can eating a taco glorify God? I don't know. Ask Paul. He's the one that said, whether you eat, do it to the glory of God. Feel free to eat your taco. But maybe not in an angry way. I'm so mad at this taco. Calm down. The fact of the matter is that everything brings glory to God or it doesn't. And you as a Christian need to be bringing glory to God with every move you make, every action you take, every thought that you have should be bringing glory to God. Every single one. This is going to come as a shock to you and some of you might not agree with me and you might not, might not like it, but I dare you to find a place in scripture that contradicts me. I don't think you're going to find one, which is why I'm daring you to do it. And if somebody does find one that directly contradicts me, I will apologize next Sunday morning. Church, if you are a Christian, you never get to have an off day. Let me make it a little bit more hard on you. You never get to have an off moment. You are being watched at all times by the people around you and by the spiritual beings around you. As a pastor, when I come here on Sunday morning, it does not matter how bad a morning I have had. I put on the smile and I do my best to speak into each and every one of your lives. Some Sundays I don't make it, but I do my best to do it. As a Christian, you need to do the same. I'm not saying you don't get to have bad days. Everyone has bad days. But what I'm saying is, in your bad day, is your joy overflowing nonetheless? Do you snap at your coworker when they did something wrong, no matter how many times you've shown them how to do it right? Do you snap at your kid because they're a little too loud for what you want right now? Do you snap at your husband or wife because they just won't take out the garbage? You don't get to have an off moment when you're a Christian because people are watching and you never know. That coworker you snapped at, they wanted to come to church. You better believe they're not coming with you. It's the way that it works. I'm not saying you don't get to have sadness and, and depression and hardship. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you don't get to show that to the mass populace. There's something that goes along with this that is incredibly important. Have somebody in your life you can be off with, and they can be off with you. Have somebody, preferably of the same gender, because quite frankly, separate genders don't deal with the same things in the same ways. So have somebody of the same gender that you are safe with, that you can go to and say, this day has just been, and put in whatever stream of words you'd like to put in. And they can talk with you and walk with you through it because you are going to have bad days. But when it comes to the people around you, you don't get to have them. You see, the other thing about being a Christian is that you need to be good to all people. To all people. I find it interesting that in that verse, Paul says, 
be good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. Shouldn't that be the easiest people? No. Let me explain. In your life, who are the people that can hurt you the most, the easiest, and the deepest? Your family and loved ones. Why? They're the closest to you. They know what makes you tick and what buttons they can press. And usually, you trust them the most, so the betrayal cuts deepest. Whether they meant to hurt you or not. We talked about this last week. We are a body of believers, right? Which means we know how to hurt each other the most. And so we need to be constantly vigilant to make sure we are not hurting other believers. Some of us like to use the excuse of, well, I'm just brash. I'm in your face. Yeah? Me too. It's not an excuse. I don't see a point in Scripture that says that's okay. I'm just pointing out their sin. Did you do it in love? Because to point out somebody's sin is not your job unless you are doing it in love. Yeah, I did it in love. Then why are they on the floor crying? When you left them, did they feel encouraged or beaten down? Apply that to every moment of your life. When you leave a conversation with somebody, do they feel beaten down or do they feel lifted up? We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The amount of times in my short 26, almost 27 years that I have had to go to somebody and apologize for my words is way too many. And I still, Lord willing, have another 50, 60 years left to mess up. Hopefully, by the end, I get it right. We'll see. I'm right there with you in this, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible doesn't give excuses. It doesn't give caveats. It says, this is who you are. Therefore, this is how you should be. It doesn't leave room for us to be like, well, God, I had a bad day. God, these horrible things keep happening to me. Yes, they do. If you're ever feeling down, like your life is so horrible, and I'm not saying bad things don't happen. Go take a read through the book of Job. Tell me if your life compares to his. I would wager, now, we're not supposed to bet, but I would wager every dollar I have ever seen, so like $200, that your life does not compare to Job's. Have you lost your entire family outside of your nagging wife? Read through Job. Tell me that woman wasn't a nag. Have you lost all of your money? All of your income from your job? He was a farmer, right? Essentially. Your health. And I don't just mean, because some of us have real health issues. He couldn't move. He was using broken pieces of pottery to scrape pus off of himself from his boils. If you compare to him, I give you leave. You can complain every once in a while. He didn't, but you can. Fine. Sorry, I don't think anybody in this room or listening online, whether it be now or in the future, it's not compared to what he went through. You don't get to have an off day. So find somebody you can be off with. 
that you can trust to lay on them your hurts. And they can trust to lay theirs on you and you can work together in them. You're a Christian, so find another Christian. Because if you find a non-Christian, all you're going to do is drive them away from the church. So those are kind of the more... It doesn't really tell you how to act necessarily, the actual steps you should take for what Christian conduct is. It's just, listen, this is the general overview of how you should live your life. So let's talk a little bit about how you should act, what you should actually do. Number two on your note sheets there. Your goals. Your goals. I had a professor once who told me that to have a goal was a sin. And it's the reason I was as angry as I was. Which, of course, just made me angrier at how stupid a statement that was. He said, you should have godly desires. Because a desire doesn't have an ending. And so if you don't reach that, you won't be mad. I was like, oh no, trust me, I'm still going to be mad. I don't think you understand the depths to which I can be angry about something. Goals are not a bad thing. And here are your goals, church. Be a good steward. God has entrusted you with things. And you're like, Pastor, I'm very poor. Okay, fine. Are you alive? That means you have time to spend. Be a good steward of it. Be a good steward of your family. Be a good steward of your money. Be a good steward of your talents and gifts and abilities God has given you. I have a great, well, no, that sounds a little too arrogant. I have some strengths in my life, things that I'm good at. I have a great many weaknesses, things I'm not good at. One of those has always been time management. For the first year and a half to two years I've been your pastor, I have run around like a chicken with my head cut off, not really getting that much done, but being exhausted by the end of the day. And then I allowed my mom to help make me a schedule. Now we actually get stuff done. I'm still tired at the end of the day, but we've accomplished something most days now. Because I'm horrible at time management. So if I had to go to Scranton to get something, I'd go to Scranton three times a week. Instead of getting everything while I was down there in one day. You might say, well, Pastor, that sounds pretty simple. I'm like, yeah, it does to you. I used to be like, wow, I've got to do all these visitations. And Mom would be like, great, let's block out a time period. Go do them here. And immediately I'm like, wow, there's not nearly as many as I had originally thought. And she goes, yeah, because you were trying to do all this random stuff. I'm still not great at time management. I probably never will be. So I need to surround myself with people that are who can help me. We all are not going to be good stewards of something. So surround yourself with people that are good stewards of that thing. And then we can all help each other. Whether it be money, which is important to be a good steward of. Whether it be your, your, if you own a house or if you're renting a property or whatever, taking care of the lodging that you have. Or your time or your talents and gifts. Whatever it is, the people around you. Be good stewards of it. Paul then talks there, I believe it's in the Philippians passage, if I remember correctly, about running the race and not running it in vain. I want to read those verses again to you. I'm in verse 14. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. To run in vain means you did not do what God asked you to do. And what is it God has asked you to do? He talks about it one or two verses earlier. Blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, here it is, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Do you appear as a light in the world around you. This is Paul, who 2,000 years ago said, this is a crooked and perverse generation, and I got news for you. It's only gotten worse since then. Are you a light in the world around you? Because if you are, then when you get to heaven, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did it. You probably will not lead as many people as Paul or Peter or Billy Graham or Jan or Maya or pick your favorite to Christ. God probably has not put that on you. Are you a light to the people around you, though? Do you spread God's light? Are you joyous with people? Do you give them a smile? You never know what somebody is walking through, and it's important to show them who God is. And you say, well, I don't know if I have to smile at everybody. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to refrain from using the term because... We're being recorded, and I really don't want it out there to the world that I said this. So, Does everybody here have an idea of what RBF is? It stands for resting, B-I-T-C-H, face. What it means is, when you are at rest, your face kind of looks like this. I have always had this. I would have people come up to me and be like, what's wrong? And I'm like nothing. I'm just sitting here. They're like, you look upset with the world. And I'm like, no, not yet. Give it a few minutes. I probably will be, but not yet. So I do my best to work diligently to never allow my face to get to that point because I don't need somebody to look at me and go, oh, he's upset about something. I'm not, I'm not talking to him. I'm not going to deal with him. Something, I'm, I'm not going there. Instead, I do my best to keep the eyebrows up a little bit, keep the face up a little bit, smile a little bit, you know. Maddie always gets, she's not mad at me, she gets confused. Because Maddie and I like to take walks. So we take a walk almost every night. And there's people driving down the road and I just wave at them. She's like, did you know them? And I'm like, no. She goes, why are you waving? And I said, I'm saying hi. I didn't know I had to have a reason. But the fact of the matter is, you never know what somebody else is walking through. And so I want to run this race correctly. And that might just mean smiling at everybody I meet. It might just mean showing them the joy that is in me, no matter what. Let me give you one other example, and we're just about done here because it's 10.30. Most of you here will know, my biological mother and I do not have a relationship, right? Most of my family on this side, the brush side of the family, uh, does, does not, right? And uh, about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, somewhere around there, her mother died. My mama passed away. 
And for a few weeks, I wrestled within myself about whether or not I should go down to Delaware for this, uh, this funeral. And the reason that I wrestled with it is because I, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what God wanted me to do. If I can let you in on something, I might be your pastor, I'm still human. And there are things I do not want to do. This was one of them. In talking with other people about them, I referred to it as my Nineveh. Was I going to be Jonah or not? I have not been swallowed by a big fish. I praise him for that. So I went, and I stood in the back, and the only person I know of that knew I was there was, of course, my mother, because when we got there, and by we, Linnea also went down, and, her, and, and Brent and, and Jax, we didn't go down together, but we met there. And we stood in the back, and Carrie was up there talking, so I know she knew I was there. Let me tell you the reason I did not want to go. I know my mother's side of the family. I know what they do to people. And I didn't know if I had it in me to go and stand there and walk through it. But I knew it was the right thing to do. So I ran the race correctly, and I went, and I said, I don't even know what's going to happen. And I thought about saying this or not, and then yesterday, Linnea texted me and said, Carrie just wanted you to know it meant a lot that you were there. I didn't say a word to anybody except for my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew. Unless Carrie told other people, they didn't know I was even there. That's running the race correctly. Because I don't know what the impact that's going to have in the lives of people that I don't talk to. Sometimes running the race correctly, most times running the race correctly means doing things you do not want to do. But are you going to run it correctly so that when you get to heaven, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. Not every time, because I'm not perfect. But you did what I asked you to do. And then lastly, and this really applies to that as well, to running the race correctly. Grow up. Grow up. I could use the excuse... I'm still young, 26, I'll be 27 in a couple of months, be married a year in just under a month. I'm still young. You could have said, he'll learn. Next time something like this comes around, he'll be wiser. But the fact of the matter is, I've been a Christian for about 20 years, 20, 21 years. Lived in a Christian home that whole time with two parents that raised me correctly along with various other people in my life that had direct hand in making sure that I understood right from wrong and understood that you do what the will of God is. So I didn't have an excuse. If I didn't go, I expected people to look at me and say, Sam, grow up. You're a man. You're a pastor. You're a Christian. You're a husband. Throw every adjective out there that I am. The one that matters is you're a Christian, grow up. I'm not saying that there aren't struggles. I'm not saying that you're going to get it right every time. But let me ask you this. Are you the same person today you were yesterday? Because if you are, grow up. Let me make it a little worse. Are you the same person today 
You were last year. If you are, grow up. Are you the same person today you were five years ago? Grow up. Like we can keep going back and back and back as far as you want to. But the fact of the matter is, growing up means you are more Christ-like today than you were yesterday. It does not mean you have reached the end because you won't reach that until you're in glory. It also does not mean you're not going to stumble. This is a race we're running, not a ladder we're climbing. And when you stumble in a race, you don't have to go back to where you stumbled and start from there or back to the start line and start from there. You get back up from where you are and you keep running. That's what growing up means. Growing up means you're better today, more Christ-like today than you were yesterday. And when you stumble, do you sit there and wallow in self-pity and, oh, I've done something wrong and I sinned and, oh. Or are you heartbroken that you sinned and dedicated to not doing it again? And you pick yourself up with the help of God and you keep running. Your homework for this week. I'm trying to give... I'm trying to give more practical things for us to do at the end of sermons, okay? So your homework for this week does not involve uh, needing a uh, directory. Thank you for whoever whispered that. Sometimes, you know I still, I had COVID a little under a year ago, and it still affects my brain sometimes. The words won't, won't come. I can see it, and I, but I can't, I can't make it. Directory, so thank you. Although, if you're going to do the first bit of homework, it still does. But for this sermon, spend some time tonight with your Savior, your Father, your King, your Lord, your Master. Pick your favorite term for him. And ask him, where is it you want me to grow up tomorrow? And then as he puts it on you, do it. And then tomorrow, ask him the same thing. And then secondly, each morning, ask God to help you to be better today than you were yesterday because you can't do it on your own. You are going to need his grace and mercy in your life to accomplish it. So say, Father, where do you want me to be better and help me to be better? And then walk into that day with purpose and conviction to be a better Christian, to be more Christ-like than you were yesterday. And eventually, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, however long the Lord should tarry or wait to call you home, you'll look back and see a difference. I'm not the same man I was three years ago when you elected me as your pastor. Thank God. Most of you, not most of you, a lot of you knew me in high school. Thank God I'm not that same man. He was an idiot. I still am, but different. And if you ever feel discouraged, look back and see how God has moved you and taken you through each step of the way. Because in the end, we need to be showing glory to Christ, right? And the best way to do that is to be more Christ-like because that allows his light to shine through you into the world and the people around you. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for this morning and we thank you that you don't leave us to just be like, okay, just go. But you tell us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to act. Father, I'm asking that you would help us to grow up so that we can run this race correctly. 
Give us strength in the moments when we need it, grace when we need it, the faith when we need it, hope and peace and love because we are going to face things. Help us, Father, this is part of growing up, to be able to say, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world is all as it should be or when I'm in the desert place or the wilderness, wherever we are. Father, we praise you, we love you. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen and amen.